Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. but We all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the Burner Less Lethal Pistol Launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, we've got some breaking news. This is a breaking news alert, which is highly, highly, highly entertaining. Breaking news now. Even the Clinton News Network had to report it. The debate commission. Trump did have audio issues. When I said this the other day, Hannity says it can't be true. Can't be true. Everybody told me it was audio issues going on there. Everybody knew it. Why it took so long for them to admit it is actually humorous. Presidential debates in the Commission on Presidential Debates revealed in a one-sentence statement that Donald Trump's audio was impacted earlier in the week. Regarding the first debate, there were issues regarding Donald Trump's audio that affected the sound level in the debate hall, the commission said in a statement. No other details were immediately available. (laughs) Donald Trump said it. No, we can't believe Donald Trump. By the way, another day, another Hillary coughing fit. She managed to make it through Monday night's debate with not so much as a hiccup, but she remains one presidential debate coughing fit away from blowing the whole race. I don't know. There we go. Thank you. You know, for me, service is really all about fulfilling the instruction of my Methodist faith. And you can see part of the creed I like to follow behind me. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can. What is going on? Now, the second coughing fit she's suffered since she reportedly recovered from the pneumonia. And what excuse are they going to come up with now? Um, I think one of the more, I'm just in a giddy kind of Friday, I don't care kind of mood today. And uh, some polls out today, we'll go over all of those. And 
Now it's Trump up 47 to 41 in the, what is that, the latest L.A. Times poll. Other polls have it that, that Clinton did a little, got a little bounce in some of the swing states by like a point or two. And the media is trying to run with that as if this is, you know, big breaking news. And, oh, my God, look at this. Um, you know, USA Today, stop him. U.N. and Trump. Everybody's in a full panic over this. Anyway, we got a lot to get to. I think the most revealing comment about Hillary Clinton came out today when she admitted this morning that as a strong and powerful woman, she finds it extremely difficult to pretend that she's actually likable. That's what she said. Yes, I think. And she said it's difficult for women to be perceived as both tough and likable, she said, lamenting that women are constantly being judged by their looks. Yes, I think it's really hard to be honest. It is really hard, she said. She was telling R&B singer Mary Blige on her Apple Music podcast. Well, she's doing a lot of real tough media interviews. People criticize Donald Trump for going on Fox News. You know, when has Hillary done a presser? When has Hillary been on any real interview? When has Hillary come on Fox News? When is, she doesn't even go on CNN, and CNN loves her. So anyway, so where does she do interviews? With Mary Blige on the Apple Music podcast. I don't know why it's so hard, you know, but I think it's rooted in, you know, tens of thousands of years of how people's lives have been defined and what it's meant to be a woman or a man and how society is organized. I know that I'm under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of attention is being paid to me, and I do the best I can. That's all I can do. I can only be myself, and I hope that... Though by running this campaign, I hope winning this campaign, it's going to really change people's minds and open doors for a lot of people, too. She's having a hard time. You know what's also hilarious in media coverage? I noticed this today. Never underestimate the media and their impact in this election and their capacity to twist facts to fit their political agenda. That's why I think it was such a big deal that the Washington Post came out with this article about Hillary Clinton this week. And we're going to get into this in some more detail in the course of the program today. But, you know, for them to actually suggest was Hillary an enabler or a family defender, how Hillary Clinton responded to her husband's accuser, she attacked them. And she sent her best friends out to attack them. And they never stopped attacking them. And they did everything they could do to stop the bimbo eruption, their words, not mine. And it was the nuts and sluts defense, and it was narcissistic looney tune Monica Lewinsky, and I'll crucify Jennifer Flowers, and Paula Jones, you drag a dollar through a trailer park, you never know what you're going to find. Well, it ended up being $850,000 that she got, but anyway, it's fun, funny to watch the media. New York Times desperately doesn't want to talk about it. And now that Trump, for example, leads in the state of Ohio, the battleground state of Ohio, she's not been there since Labor Day. So they've pretty much given up on Ohio. And after the convention, when Trump was down in most of the polls by single digits, the press at that point declared that he was dead, done, and buried. Now that he's battled back in the polls and the race is suddenly tied, the media has now issued a new collective, uh, never mind, never mind. Now that, you know, look, the case in point is Ohio. Trump is still ahead in that must-win state. No Republican has won the presidency without Ohio. Now, that doesn't comport with the media's new narrative, so what do they say? Well, you know, Ohio's not really a must-win state. That's what the New York Times, Breitbart did a great analysis on this, the so-called paper of record in the country declaring 
that the all-important swing state of Ohio is no longer an important battleground in the presidential election. Now that Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump, is winning it. Now that Trump has pulled ahead in it. And early in September, the Times was declaring Ohio, quote, an essential swing state where Governor John Kasich threatened to destroy Trump's presidential hopes by not by withholding his endorsement and denying Trump his turnout operation. Times added that no candidate since 1960 has made it to the White House without winning Ohio. It's it's a bellwether state. There's no other way to put it. You know, it's just like the media is now desperate now that. We now see the conspiracy about this Alicia Machado, Miss Piggy, that they claim that Donald Trump called her. Let me play again what we played yesterday. Well, before I do that, let's let's just remember what Michelle Obama once said about, well, if you can't take care of your own house, you can't be in the White House. You may remember this. One of the things, the important aspects of this race is role modeling what good families should look like. And my view is that if you can't run your own house, you certainly can't run the White House. Can't do it. Can't do it. There's about as big a smear as there's ever been. Remember, Bill Clinton, well, they played the race card on me, and they planned it from the very beginning. There's never been any love loss there. Although, you know, I've got to wonder, and this is uh, something that one of my lawyer friends put by me, is that the reason that James Comey fell on his sword is that he knew that the email server scandal would go right to the top and right to Barack Obama, and he didn't want a crisis in the presidency because Obama emailed Hillary on the private server some 18 times. That's a pretty good theory by Jay Sekulow and others. I'm not really that far away from keeping it. But anyway, back to the media double standard. You know, last December, Hillary started in with the Trump hates women routine, which she played at the end of the debate the other day. And that we now have learned that the media was all set up. They knew the name Alicia Machado was coming up. They knew the Miss Piggy reference was coming up. Now, they didn't do their due diligence. They didn't learn that Miss Machado apparently was uh, that was some believe an accessory to murder and driving a murder car, a murder vehicle away or driving the getaway car. They didn't know that she had threatened to kill a judge and all these other issues. Some may be true, not true. I won't bring them up till we find out definitively. I'm not going to go and watch the porn videos and to see if they are her or not her. The Daily Caller said they were. Others then said that it wasn't her. Uh, you know, uh, really, Jason, we may have to give you that duty. You know, go and take a Oh, have you read Is that an order you're asking me? Would you mind doing it? Absolutely not. Not no, at all. No, not at all. No, no. <laughs> That's my point. Anyway, so last December, Hillary started in with the hate Trump hates women routine and Trump followed with his natural instincts. He fought back and he fired back with both barrels. And then in interview after interview, he kept talking about Bill Clinton and Juanita Broderick, who claimed she was raped and Kathleen Willie, who claimed she was groped and grabbed and fondled and touched against her will. And Paula Jones and Trump single handedly at the time forced the media to cover those stories and we've had these women on radio and on TV. And then within days, Hillary dropped the issue. Now, listen to how desperate Politico is to make sure that Trump doesn't resurrect what was a pretty successful strategy. And I, I kind of admire it on the one hand that he said, I'm looking right out of Chelsea Clinton. I don't want to say it. But you know what? If she's going to dump all this crap on his lap, we can't ignore all of the surrogates out there. Targeting all of these women. 
And Hillary herself say Monica Lewinsky, narcissistic Looney Tune, Paula Jones, drag a dollar bill through a trailer park, Jennifer Flowers, I'll crucify her, and everybody else in between. It was one bimbo eruption defense after another. And it's, I don't know what's worse. I mean, it's horrible what, if, you, if you've interviewed these women like I have, and if you ask me if I believe them, the answer is yes, I do. Starting with Jennifer Flowers, Bill Clinton eventually, eventually acknowledged that he had an affair with Jennifer. Well, I only did it one time, but, and I don't even believe that. Well, he finally had to. Anyway, so political rights, despite warnings from fellow Republicans against insulting a beauty queen that he disparaged for gaining weight. Listen to what Trump actually said about the woman. Listen to how he he talks about himself and talks about the stress of being in the position she's in. Listen. I work out on occasion. As little as possible. I work out as much as Penny works out, which isn't much. No, I work out playing sports. I like sports. And this stuff is terrific. But I like golf. I like tennis. When do you want, you come here with me. I'll work out with her. I'll work out with her anytime she wants. Well, I don't think Alicia needs much advice. I will say that last year, before I owned the Miss Universe contest, I went to the Miss Universe contest last year. It was in Las Vegas. And I felt that Alicia was one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen. It was incredible. And all of the folks that were here agreed with that. Alicia is like me and like a lot of other people. I love to eat. We all love to eat. Not all of us. Some of you are lucky. But we eat. We like to eat. And she had tremendous pressure put on her with the win and everything else. Plus, she was going from country to country, all foreign places. And there was a huge amount of pressure. And some people, when they have pressure, don't eat. And some people, when they have pressure, eat too much, like me, but like Alicia. And what she's going to do now is she's got one of the great trainers of the world and a very, very famous man in his own right. And he's been working with her for the last few days. And I think she's going to show up at that contest uh, actually being probably a little bit heavier than when she won it. A little heavier. But you think that's actually better. When she won it, she weighed about 118 pounds. Too light for her. And actually, uh, from what I understand, a little bit heavier. But I will say, when she won the contest, I had never seen anybody more beautiful. And she's totally beautiful now. Did you ever really consider letting her go? Well, I I tell you, there was a group that wanted us to do that very much. And I have to credit CBS also, because they are my partner. I bought the contest, the Miss Universe, Miss USA contest. And then CBS joined me as my partner. I mean, more than just five years of broadcast rights, they actually are 50-50 partners now. And... They were with me 100%. We really agreed on it together. And one of the reasons is that, you know, you have a lot of people that have problems with weight, eating disorders, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of you reporters, and I can't believe how many showed up, but a lot of you folks have weight problems, I hate to tell you. But doesn't doesn't include you. But a lot of you folks that I'm looking at right now aren't in the greatest of shape. And the truth is, and I'm not meaning that you're too skinny, although you're pretty skinny. (laughs) That didn't sound anything but understanding and supportive. But nobody in the media is going to take the time and play that. Nobody in the mainstream media, and except I give an exception to the Washington Post. They actually did do some really good work this week, even though, you know, nobody's really talked about this woman and the fact I'm not a saint. Well, did you or did you not threaten to kill a judge and everything else that's controversial in your life? You can't ask that question. 
Anyway, so I don't know if that pales in comparison to all the other things the Clintons have done against women, but we'll get to your calls on this. 800-941-SHAWN. We also have the other news of the day. And on top of that, we've got uh, all the poll numbers we're going to go over. We'll uh, check in with women that know Donald Trump today. Now, Carrie Prejean, former Miss California, uh, Sonata Adzum is going to join us, former vice president of Trump International, Melissa Young, former Wisconsin. By the way, a lovely woman. She's literally in a fight of her life right now to save her life. And she, uh, wait to hear her story. It's pretty amazing. That's all coming up. The piece that we have been talking about the last couple of days, enabler or family defender, how Hillary Clinton responded to uh, her husband's accusers. Uh, there's an interesting analysis of this by Andrew Ferguson over at the Weekly Standard. And, you know, the Post reporter depicts Clinton as a wife whose political enemies with their endless accusations about her husband's ever failing zipper left her no choice but to defend him with steely determination, quote unquote. I think he wrote this up really well. He said, these people are not going to run over us, but who are these people? And he writes, and accurately so, that the Post would have you believe that they're all ill-tempered Republicans. But this, the statement that is more accurate about these people are taken to be the women who have been reckless enough to have sex with Bill Clinton. And then he goes through a history of all this. Gail Sheehy's book, the uh, book Hillary's Choice, gives plenty of details left out of the Post piece. And Andrew writes in this in his piece, he goes, well, Bill Clinton, when he first planned to run for president in 1988, a political enemy threatened to make a public list of Bill's extramarital affairs. The list was very long. She he says that Hillary deputized two of her law partners, Webb Hubble and Vince Foster, to invite the women one by one into the imposing Little Rock offices of their law firm, the largest in the state. There were two lawyers confronted. The women and generously offered to give them free legal counsel if the list was made public. Hillary attended at least one of those meetings. Well, that's kind of intimidating, don't you think? You know, but um, the problem of Bill's rodeo queens, as Hillary called them, wouldn't go away, he goes on. In his equally admiring biography, A Woman in Charge, The Life of Hillary Rodham Clinton, Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein fame, writes that Bill's closest aide, a woman named Betsy Wright, challenged her boss about the many extramarital affairs as the 88 campaign loomed, and she told him they were likely to become public if he lunged for the White House. Specifically, Betsy Wright said, uh, what I said was, let's walk through all the women. And, of course, I was horrified because I thought I knew everybody. And he came up with these people I didn't know about. And Wright says she convinced Clinton that a national campaign campaign it would swarm with nosy reporters, et cetera, et cetera, and be, would be devastating for Chelsea. Clinton didn't run for president. I need some family time, he announced. I need some personal time, et cetera, et cetera. By 1992, they had hired Detective Jack Palladino. Now, you remember Dick Morris referred to them as Hillary's secret police, private investigators. The purpose was to investigate allegations of two dozen women. That's where the Post drops the article. And this is where, to the Weekly Standard's credit, I'm not exactly the biggest fan of them right now, but anyway, they pick it up. you got to give credit where credit's due. And uh, Jack Palladino was not mentioned in that article, but yet, you know, he's not a mere walk-on, as they say. It was Hillary, said Gail Sheehy, who got the idea to hire Palladino. She'd known him during law school, brief internship. 
Clinton campaign paid Palladino a $100,000 retainer to do his work. The money was funneled through a Denver law firm and billed as legal services. Palladino bragged about his willingness to play rough on behalf of the people who hired him. Quote, I'm somebody you call when the house is on fire, not when there's just smoke in the kitchen. He asked me to deal with that fire to save you, to do whatever has to be done. Now, how did Palladino keep the rodeo queens quiet? Well, then, in his piece, I give him a lot of credit here, Andrew Ferguson goes on. He quotes Jeff Girth and Dale Vanatta, authors of yet another admiring biography, Her Way of Hillary. And they found a private memo written by Palladino to Clinton campaign staffers in 1992 in it, Palladino explained his goal in dealing with Jennifer Flowers, the first of Bill's lovers to go public. He would, quote, impeach her character and veracity until she is destroyed beyond all recognition. Oh, wait a minute. I thought Hillary was a defender of women's rights. Thought she loved women. And she herself said she would crucify Jennifer Flowers. And he would impeach her character and veracity until she is destroyed beyond all recognition now what's fascinating about this this exact same strategy you know the last one that we know about is monica Lewinsky. what did hillary call her narcissistic looney tune and then there was bound to be collateral damage when a former roommate spoke to reporters and confirmed jennifer flower's story paladino decided to pay the roommate a visit And she later told the investigative journalist Daniel Wattenberg that Palladino had asked her, do you think Jennifer is the sort of person who would commit suicide? See what we're dealing with here? Does anybody really care about women in any of these any of these uh, meet and greets? Hello, I'm Jack Palladino. I'm here to take care of this for them. Anyway, Sally Perdue, a former Miss Arkansas, another of Bill's women, likewise drew Palladino's attention When she spoke publicly of their affair, Palladino sifted through Purdue's past, found an estranged relative who was willing to dispute the story and malign her character. And Palladino made the relative available to any member of the press who asked the campaign about Purdue. The tactic worked, and as Michael Isikoff wrote at the time, no major news organization has reported Purdue's account. And the story goes on that Palladino kept Wright informed of his progress. And Wright said she passed along the good news to Hillary. Now, all of that, as Andrew points out, is missing from the Washington Post piece. But I'm still giving the Washington Post some credit here. you got to give them some credit. Bill Clinton's long record of using women as human, well, whatever word you care to use here would be appropriate. What's relevant is the intimidation of the women that Hillary instigated and oversaw and deployed as a tactic to keep her husband's career on course. Now, that's at odds with the picture of, you know, the wronged wife that the Post points out. That's a good point that Andrew makes. Also, there's no mention of Kathleen Willey. I've interviewed Kathleen Willey, and basically her story is this. On the worst day of her life, when her husband committed suicide, that she was in the Oval Office because they were in financial dire straits, begging Bill Clinton, who she knew, for a job, and... Then there was groping and grabbing and fondling and kissing against her will. And uh, anyway, we know what happened with her, too. And then there's more. And, you know, there's so much more. Then there was the Juanita Broderick story. And there's the, you know, Paula Jones story. 
You know, some of these women, I can tell you because I know them, their whole lives have been altered. Irreparable harm has been done to them. And it, I, I, I can't say for sure, but my, my take on it is the greater part of the harm was done because of the slander, because of the, the lies, the besmirchment, the character assassination. Imagine you're trying to tell the truth and you got a private detective showing up at your door. One that is willing to do whatever needs to be done to, quote, put out fires. It's pretty intimidating to anybody. And there are people like that in life. And anyway, and the list goes on. Juanita is not the only one, by the way. There are so many other women that nobody has ever really paid a whole lot of attention to. Elizabeth Ward Grayson. Remember her? Juanita Broderick, Eileen Wellstone, Carolyn Moffitt. It's like a list that goes on and on and on. Just never ends. You know, um, it's sort of like Hillary Clinton voting, you know, and everything the Clintons are involved in, it's all hypocrisy. Think of the whole media strategy. It's everything the Democrats always use. Republicans are racist. She used that in the debate. Republicans are sexist. They use that in the debate. Uh, you can't say she suggests. I mean, if you say radical Islam, it's Islamophobia, and we're all a basket of deplorables. And yet this this race is dead even. Why? Doesn't make sense. Anyway, let's go to Mark is in Long Island, New York, on the all new AM 710 WOR. How are you, sir? Good, Sean. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? Well, I just have to say, Sean, I'm a frustrated Democrat, and I'm voting for Donald Trump. But I have to say you're taking the bait, okay? I think you need to mention what's going on, but don't dwell on it, okay? Remember Bill Clinton, when George Bush was not, had a 91% approval rating, and he was an obscure candidate, and he said four magical words to the American people that got my vote, it's the economy, stupid. Donald Trump is a successful businessman who understands a balance sheet, particularly now when we're $20 trillion in debt, which is the real, real problem for middle-class Americans. And he should be out there saying, you know what? Jobs, jobs, jobs every single day. That's what he should be doing, and that's what you've got to focus on, too. Listen, every day on this program, what do I say? And, I, you know, in many ways, I don't want to be a broken record, but this is a choice election. I'd be negligent if I don't point out the profound differences that are in play this election. I mean, th look, the Supreme Court alone, and when I read Ted Cruz's support of Trump, I read it in total because his case was so powerful and so strong. And believe me, I, I don't think there's anybody that probably hated Trump more by the end of the process than Ted Cruz. It got very personal between the two of them. But Ted Cruz, to his credit, you know, he needed a little time. Time kind of heals all wounds. I think Ted really is a practicing good Christian. I believe that about him. I know he's a constitutionalist. And I think probably forgiveness is a big part of his life. And I admire him. You know, you got to admire a guy like that. But I'm sure he still harbors some resentment towards Trump. And I think Trump probably feels some resentment from Ted. Ted went at him very hard, and uh, it was a pretty contentious battle. But at the end of the day, the Supreme Court's going to impact this country for generations. Now, if we don't vet refugees, we'll get into this a little more in the next hour. We don't vet them, 
and Americans die because radicalized ISIS people get into this country, radical Islamists get into this country, and we don't listen to Comey and Clapper and Steinbeck and Brennan and, and McCall and General Allen who say ISIS will infiltrate and they kill people, well, then you'll wish that Donald Trump had vetted the refugees and that he was elected if he doesn't get elected. I think, he, I think there's a very good chance he wins. If we don't build the wall and somebody crosses into the United States and commits harm in a major city or a small town and people die and you'll wish we had the wall built. Or more Americans are out of work because the illegal immigrants keep pouring over because the bridge that Hillary wants and wages are driven down and more Americans on top of the 95 million out of the labor force. Well, you'll know you had a choice if if. We have a president that can't say radical Islam and radical Islamists are able to pull off another 9-11 style event. You'll kind of wish that you went with the guy that said he was going to bomb the living shh out of him. If America is still dependent on foreign oil and somehow the price goes through the roof again because the Saudis have a monopoly and I believe they purposefully, along with OPEC, tried to drive fracking uh, companies in America out of business, and then as soon as they're out of business, they're going to just raise the prices as they slowly have been doing, and America's still dependent on foreign oil, and we don't have the millions of jobs created, well, then you blame yourself. Who doesn't vote? Those are the profound differences. If on the economy, when Hillary Clinton, when you die, she takes 65% of all the money that you were able to save after paying 60 cents of every dollar, you might wish Trump was president that you can give that money to charity or to your own children. If education still sucks or is at best mediocre because Hillary's dependent on the NEA and top-down Common Core, you'll know why. I've given the admonition. I've repeated myself. I do it every day. I try to point out what is of substance, Mark, every single day on this program and what's at stake in this election. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how people are going to end up voting. I don't have a clue who's going to win in 39 days. You know, I'm glad it's at least close. But frankly, the fact that the single most dishonest, corrupt human being has a shot at winning after the disaster that's known as Obama, after her disaster in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan creating a vacuum for ISIS after supporting the Muslim Brotherhood leader in Egypt, after the disaster known as Benghazi, after the disastrous Russian reset, after, you know, North Korea continues its nuclear aggression and China, their their territorial ambitions. You got to be kidding me. And one other thing that I mentioned, <laughs> sorry, that we have the lowest home ownership rate in 51 years, lowest labor participation rate since the 70s, worst recovery since the 40s, 12 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, a doubling of our national debt, one in five Americans that don't have a single family member working, and one in six American men, 18 to 34, are either in jail or in mommy's basement. It sucks. Now, I've experienced this. I tried to warn the country about Obama. I tried. Didn't I try? I gave it everything. I gave it so much that people that love me, my friends said I was dead. I was ruining my career. But I didn't care. And I know I'm out on a limb here, but I don't care because it's the right thing to do. You have a choice. 
America lives or dies in 39 days. That's how I look at it. I guess I'll talk about sex and relationships and anything else you want to talk about if Hillary wins. I don't care. I'm a contract. I'll get paid. My, my, my money, I get an increase every year. But the fact is I do care. I care as the guy that spent 20 years as a blue-collar worker with no money, struggling, trying to make a success of myself in life. And that ladder has very few rungs today because government has failed us dramatically. If somebody's willing to pay you one hundred and thirty or one hundred and seventy thousand dollars to uh, say something, and you get your fifteen minutes of fame, and you get your picture on the front page of every newspaper, and you're some failed cabaret singer who uh, doesn't even have uh, much of a, a resume to fall back on, and what's there she's lied about. You know, that's the daughter of Willie Horton, as far as I'm concerned. He'd get off the phone and tell me that she said sort of wacky things which we thought were attributable to the fact that she was terrified. People have been harassing my husband for, gosh, I don't know, ever since I've known him. I have to believe that it is in large measure motivated by people uh, who just flat out disagree with the kind of politics and policies that my husband believes are best for America. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. You described a scene where he was biting on your lip and then when it was all over, he was leaving. I said, you better put some ice on that. Yeah, and casually put on his sunglasses and walked out the door. I was sitting there crying and so upset at the time. And I felt like somebody, that the next person would be somebody coming through the door to get rid of the body. You met Hillary Clinton. Yes. She held on to my hand and she said, do you understand everything that you do? I mean, cold chills went up my spine. That's the first time I became afraid of that woman. You interpret that to mean she knew about the incident? I certainly do. And thank you for keeping quiet. On the eve of your testimony in the Paula Jones case, there was, you lost your cat, and there was somebody who came up to you, a stranger. He approached me one morning. He alluded to the fact, he alluded to my cat by name and past tense. He said, how is that? How is, um, he was a nice cat. He said, that bullseye was a nice cat. And that was a direct threat, you believe, on the eve of your testimony, to let you know the cat's gone. That was followed by, that was followed by, how are your children? And he named them by name. That was followed by, that was followed by the naming of a very dear friend's two children. That was followed by, did you ever get those tires fixed? I had three out of four tires in my car flattened by a nail gun. Hillary claims to be and wants us to think that she's a champion of women's rights, she's a women's advocate, she's a feminist. She has enabled his behavior for over 30 years. I personally feel that if I had not become public when I did, even though I had not planned it, that I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you now. I think something would have happened to me. I think most of the women that have been involved with Bill Clinton have told of situations where they were threatened. When all said and done, are you glad you did all of this? Yes, because I knew I was telling the truth and I had nothing to hide. And once and for all, I hope the world realizes that I was telling the truth and I wasn't just making it up. I want to send a message to every survivor of sexual assault. Don't let anyone silence your voice. You have a right to be heard and you have a right 
to be believed. We're with you. All right, there you have a montage over the years. Well, I have actually interviewed all of the women that have been victims of the Clinton smear machine, starting with Jennifer Flowers. Bill Clinton eventually did admit in the Ken Starr report that, yeah, he did have an affair with Jennifer Flowers, but yet she was smeared and slandered and besmirched. And there was that moment where Hillary Clinton went out there and said she's going to crush her. I'll crucify her, to use the exact words of Hillary, or... There were the surrogates like James Carville with Paula Jones. Oh, you drag a, a dollar bill through a trailer park, you never know what you're going to find. And it goes on and on from there. You notice how desperate the media is to prevent Donald Trump from hitting Bill Clinton scandals. Now, if Hillary is the champion of women's rights, gay and lesbian rights, I think the Saudi Arabia question that I always raise is legitimate. But if you notice just how absolutely desperate they are to convince Donald Trump that he better not fight fire with fire when it comes to Hillary Clinton playing the woman card. She can call him a racist, but he can't mention she used the term super predator. You know, she can bring up, oh, you said Miss Piggy and blah, blah, blah with the. okay, what's worse, Miss Piggy or that Monica Lewinsky is a narcissistic loony tune, which Hillary said about Monica Lewinsky. Or the surrogates and what they said about Paula Jones and Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willey and the list goes on and on. You know, remember last December, Hillary started in with the Trump hates women routine and Trump, following his natural instincts, fired back with both barrels. In interview after interview, he kept talking about, well, you know what? For those of you that may not remember, what did Paula Jones allege that while he was the Arkansas governor that he exposed his penis to her? And she ended up winning a a court judgment of $850,000 that the Clintons had to pay her, which led to the whole impeachment fiasco. And then, of course, there's Kathleen Willey, who claims she was fondled and kissed and groped and grabbed by Bill in the Oval Office. And then there was Juanita Broderick. She claimed rape. And Jennifer Flowers says it was a consensual relationship. And there were other women as well. And the list goes on and on. But the media doesn't want they want to give Hillary Clinton free reign to say Donald Trump is a sexist. They got the New York Times doing their work for them. And then, of course, everything they printed ended up being false and they're embarrassed. But nobody remembers that. It's so it seems kudos to The Washington Post. I'm actually shocked. Very liberal paper. But they said enabler or family defender. How Hillary Clinton responded to her husband's accusers. Anyway, joining us now, Carrie Prejean. She's an American model, former Miss California, USA uh, 2009, Miss USA 2009 runner-up. Melissa Young, former Wisconsin 2005. And Sonata Adzum is with us, former vice president at Trump International, the creative woman behind the marketing of Donald Trump's most treasured condominium development, says that he taught her the secrets to success. Welcome all of you back to the program. Thank you. Good to be with you, Sean. Sonata, <laughs> let me start with you because you work directly for Mr. Trump and, you know, all these accusations. Hillary paid women uh, far less than she paid men, both at the Clinton Foundation and in her Senate office. She claims that we need equal pay for women. Did Donald Trump treat women fairly at the Trump Organization? From my experience, absolutely, yes. I was there from 2003 until 2007, and I can tell you that he gave equal opportunities to both uh, men and women. And at that time, I had um, come from 
Sarajevo, Bosnia, uh, a few years prior. I had gotten my college education here in the U.S. And I had the same opportunities. Uh, the difference for me was that um, I worked harder than most of my counterparts, and I uh, managed to get to where I was, which was uh, eventually running um, four of his major Trump international developments. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty incredible success story. And I've been over to Trump Towers many times over the years, and I see many, many happy women working there. And I see people of all races, all backgrounds, all colors, uh, all working there very hard every day. Uh, from what I understand, he's a demanding but fair boss. Is that a fair characterization? That's actually a great characterization because I will tell you, Mr. Trump is really, really tough. He's a businessman, and he demanded so much from all of us. We had to work hard. We had to give our best, and he kept us accountable, meaning if you didn't perform what you were supposed to do, as in um, my case, I had to get records, break records, in fact, for highest prices um, in New York and Fort Lauderdale, that if I didn't do that, I would hear about it. And then I would have to figure out how to fix it. So the bottom line is this. He cares about how everyone performs at the organization. He will give you the same opportunity, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, or regardless of where you no. come from, of your nationality. But you have to do what you're supposed to do. Carrie Prejean, I got to know you when you came under fire for just expressing a point of view in a pageant. And, you know, you once told me something that I thought was pretty sad because I actually thought that, you know, that in America you're allowed to have opinions. Uh, you believe deeply in your faith and you expressed an opinion in a nice way. You, just, you said nothing that was personal. And you once told me that there were only two people publicly that stood up for you. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sean. Um and you hit it right on the head earlier when you said that this is a desperate attack by Hillary Clinton. I mean, they are so desperate, Sean. I mean, these are the last, you know, 30 days or 39 days left to the election. And they are so desperate. And the left-wing media is trying so hard to smear this man. And myself and Miss Wisconsin, who's on the line as well, we have nothing but admiration for this man. He went above and beyond to defend us, to help us, to take care of us, and when, when in reality, in my case, the Miss Universe organization, the handlers, the management, um, were kind of going against me, and he was actually the only one that stepped up and said, wait a minute, let's really look at this situation here. And he held a press conference, and while they were trying to take my title away, he was the only one that stood up for me and defended my title as Miss California, and he was always available to talk to any time of the day. I would call his personal cell phone, Sean, and he would pick up every single time. He you, never let me down, no matter how busy this man was. He was available. He was helpful. He gave me career opportunities. He respected me. He loved me. He respected my family. He was always there for me, Sean, and I am sick and tired of this. I am so fed up with this. This is just a smear campaign to try to detract. The real issues are Hillary Clinton is not fit to be president. Look at what she said. She said she spent 11 hours testifying before Congress. Well, guess what? Those poor men in Benghazi spent two more hours longer than she did. And guess what? They never got rescued. And those are the things that we should be talking about. It's a pretty powerful statement. You know, and the New York Times, of course, had a hit piece about Trump's private moments with women, and they quoted you, but you refused to give the New York Times an interview. And as you told me at the time, they purposely took out of context the quote that you made in your book. 
And then you went public and you said, sorry, I didn't say that. That's not who he is. That's not what I believe. And it was a pretty powerful moment. Yes, it was. And it was just another example, Sean, of the media just trying to lie and make things up to try to smear this man. They know that he is so close to winning this thing. They, they realize it. And guess what? They're, they're panicking right now. And all they can come up with is 25 years ago of him telling a Miss Universe winner that she needed to lose some weight. Are you kidding me, Sean? This was a beauty contest. We, we have to uphold a certain look. We're representing a brand. I mean, these pageant, you know, handlers and management, they're harsher than that. And nobody's talking about that. Donald Such a Trump, good point. again, has come to the rescue of this young woman. He helped her. He wanted to turn this around for her. He wanted to make it a positive thing for her. And you know what? She, in that video, thanked him. She was gracious, and she thanked him for helping her. Now, all of a sudden, she wants to come forward and say this about him? I don't buy it. Let me ask you, Melissa. Now, you're a former Wisconsin. Now, uh, there was a moment that happened in the campaign where you gave a very emotional, impromptu thank you to Mr. Trump during a rally. Let me play this uh, for everybody. I just want to say thank you. You saved me in so many ways. In recent years, um, I've been struggling um, with an incurable illness, and I'm on home care now. It was caused by a doctor's medical negligence. And in those dark days, fighting, um, right now all the tubes have been removed, and I have a do-not-resuscitate order, and I have a 7-year-old son. In those days, in the hospital, I received from you a handwritten letter that said to the bravest woman I know. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And you, um... Such a wonderful, beautiful woman. I mean, just an amazing woman. And are you, are you doing, are you coming along okay? Um, um no, sir. But, um, that's okay, because I'm here right now to thank you in person, and that was my biggest dream. And I wanted to thank you, because... Through you and your organizations, my son, who is Mexican-American, seven years old, through your organizations, and just being able to stand on that stage with you back in 2005, the outpouring of love that came from that um, ultimately provided my son, when he graduates high school, with a, um, a full ride to college. And that was That's great. And you know what we'll do? We're Tanner, watch him. We're going to be watching your boy, okay? But you're going to hopefully be around. You're not going to have to have anybody watching. You're going to hopefully be around. Those doctors are going to be so wrong. But we'll be helping you. Melissa, how are you doing today? Thank you so much, Sean, for having me on the show. First of all, just one quick comment. Um, I I could not agree more with with what Carrie was just saying. I'm this is, is so upsetting, but uh, to answer your question, um, my spirits are good, and, and that's all that matters. I am physically struggling. I, I just came out of a procedure um, having a blood clot removed um, from my chest, but I am um, I'm fighting each day, and I'm on home care um, with visiting nurses, but I'm, I'm, my spirits are fantastic. and. Uh- I don't want to rush your story or your answer. We're going to hold you over if you can just stay a couple of more minutes. Uh, We'll continue. That's Melissa Young, former Miss uh, uh, Wisconsin. We have uh, Sonata uh, Adzum with us and Carrie Prejean with us. And we'll get back to their stories in just a minute. We continue with Carrie Prejean, American model, former Miss California, Miss USA 2009 runner-up. Melissa Young, former Miss Wisconsin. And Sonata Adzum is with us, former vice president at Trump International. 
and one of the creative forces of marketing behind Donald Trump's really biggest condominium projects and developments that he has had. And Melissa, we're going back to you in a moment that you had. You went to see Mr. Trump and you talked about how he treated you when he found out you were sick and he sent you a note that you're the strongest woman you, that he knew. He and he's and he's followed up with you as well, right? He has. And that, so that's what the thing is, when he sent that to me in the hospital, this is many years after standing on his stage at Miss USA. The fact that he even remembered me was it blew my mind and it was in really in those darkest hours and we're talking almost a decade later i received a letter from him in my hospital room on the same day that i was being read my last rites and when they read it to me it sparked something in me that was like i knew in that moment i i'm not finished he i believe he mr trump saved my life in so many ways um he, he is he has been so wonderful and yes he reaches out to me by phone he has called me now while he's on the campaign trail calling me um personally taking 20 some minutes on the phone with me asking how my son is doing in school asking if the doctors are treating me okay am i getting the care i need what can he do to help he has and what he has done for me and my son he had never spoken out about um all of the things that he had done for us was before he was going to run, before he announced that he was running for president. And he had never said, when, when those claims came out where they were, people were saying, well, he was racist and comments about Mexican-Americans, he had never said what he had done for me. And, and my son is a Mexican-American, and he has treated us with nothing but dignity and respect. He is the greatest man I have ever met. What is the st- what is the status? You said obviously you're still struggling with health issues. What is your long term prognosis, Melissa? Um, yes, sir. There there is no no cure for me, and I am fighting for each day. Um, I wow. uh, I'm fighting for each day, and every morning I wake up is is a blessing. And and this for me, I will speak up about this until my very last breath because this. It is so important that people hear and understand the truth, the true Mr. Trump, what's inside of him. He is made of pure gold. His heart is so big. And and like I said, until my last breath, I will speak up about this. I want to leave something so great for my son to look back and realize that, you know, I didn't have the energy, that my body was failing me, but I still had a voice. And to always stand up for what you know is right and speak up. And that's what I am doing. And I will do that for Mr. Trump, like I said, until until God takes me home. I, I got to be honest. I'm listening to you. And, and I think his characterization of you as the bravest woman I've ever met is is just as accurate as any I've ever heard. Oh, wow. It's, Thank you. And I know I, I know I remember meeting you. I don't know if you remember we met. Oh, I will never forget it. I have to tell you, I, I cried kind of like a baby because I love and respect you so much. And when you took time during a commercial break, one of the tapings of your show, I will never forget you turning your body towards me in the audience and saying, I am praying for you. And it was a room of thousands and thousands of people with Rudy Giuliani in the front row. And here you had pointed me out to do that. And, and sir, I just, I never got to thank you for that, but I, I, I'm doing that now. Thank you so, so much. That that was just such a, a wonderful thing that really lifted my spirits. And I write letters to my son every day about life. And I did write one of the letters. I did write that story. So he will read that someday. Oh, my gosh. How old is, is your son now? Um, he just turned eight, sir. Yeah. 
Uh, well, we are praying for you and everybody in this audience is. And there are medical miracles, Melissa, and you fighting as hard as you do. You know, you're the one that can be, can actually be that miracle. So you're and, in everybody's Sean, prayers this here. Is, this is Carrie again. I just want to say I spoke with Melissa last night over the phone, and we had the most amazing conversation. And I just have to say, Melissa, you are so brave, and you are so courageous, wow. and you are one of my really you you truly are one of my heroes. I mean, wow, the fact that you <laughs> are willing to you the fact that you are willing to stand up for the truth is so honorable to me and I just admire you so much for speaking out and speaking publicly about Mr. Trump. I mean, you could easily, you know, you out of all people could easily not be speaking right now. And, and so I just think that you're, you're leaving your legacy right now. And so, um, I just want to say thank you for doing the right thing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, And this is the right thing. Like you said, this is the right thing. Um, these stories are, this is, this is ridiculous news right now. I, I, I mean, we're talking 20 years later. If, if something hurts you so bad, but you, you wait 20 years and it conveniently comes out at a debate, a presidential debate, and you didn't do it 10 years ago, five years ago, but you were hurting so bad from his comment. It, it, that just seems very opportunistic to me. And um, as soon as I heard that, I just thought it just, it was. It seemed very, very planned, and like you said, it's a it's a smear campaign. You know, Carrie, you mentioned and, something earlier too, and that is that you know it is a beauty contest. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I for example, I work in the television industry, and you know whether or not I want to face this truth or reality or not. I mean, I part of my job as I look at it. Look, I'm not a beauty. Listen, I I barely I'm my face is made for radio. Let's be honest here. But but I but I I, find you very handsome. This is Melissa talking. I do. too. I second that. All right. All right. Just keep talking. I don't want to interrupt. This is going really well. No. But but the reality is I keep myself in shape. It's part of my job. And that's just the reality. Um, And this is ridiculous that we're even talking about this. This is honestly insane. We're talking about a beauty contestant that was that was told to work out. Are you kidding me? These women, look at their Instagram, look at their social media every single day. Fitness, nutrition, eating right, staying in shape, being a certain look. That's part of their job. And not and we also have tape of Donald Trump when we played it of him being extraordinarily supportive and nice to this woman. And then you look at her background and then you see the conspiracy that this that was you know, built in. Hillary throws it in, dumps it, the kitchen sink on Donald Trump the last hour, the last seconds of that debate. But but God forbid if Donald Trump, uh, Sonata, if he ever went back at Hillary and said, um, well, you referred to Monica Lewinsky as a narcissistic looney tune. And you said you were going to crucify um, uh, Jennifer Flowers. And your best friend, James Carville, talked about Paula Jones. Well, you drag a dollar through a trailer park. You never know what you're going to find. You know, stop with the lectures about the treatment of women. Exactly, John. And And I think that poor young girl who was 12 years old when she was raped and and Kathy Shelton, her rapist, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And you know what? That poor little child was never able to be a mother, was never able to grow up in a normal life because of Hillary Clinton. Why aren't we talking about that? And and now she's a a voice for now. She's a voice for a former Miss Universe who, um, got her feelings hurt, which I, I don't want anyone to ever feel bad about their appearance, and, and that that's not okay. But, I mean, it, to me, it shows Mr. Trump in that moment, this is also a testament to his character, that in that moment during the debate when she made those comments, he had 
he had a moment to say something that could have been to attacking what what her husband was doing in 1996. I mean, that he could have brought anything up like that, like you said about Monica Lewinsky, about Jennifer Flowers, any of those people. He he remained silent, and I think he walked away from that debate with more class for doing so. And and you know, I don't think this is if now this is now going to be fair game on Hillary's part. It is fair game. And and if Hillary's going to play the race card, I think every you know, the fact that her and her husband, you know, she supported, said her mentor was a former Klansman and J. William Fulbright was uh, uh, was Bill Clinton's uh, mentor. He was a, a segregationist and they put up the Confederate flag when they were, you know, the first lady and and the governor of Arkansas. You know, if they want to go down this ugly road, they can. Now, I think the election should be about bigger issues, but she dumped the kitchen sink on Donald Trump and everyone's saying, well, Donald Trump has to stop. Donald Trump can't fight back. Donald Trump can't point out the duplicity and double standard of the media and the Clintons. Uh, we can't point out that women, she takes all this money from, from countries that practice Sharia law and treat women horribly. They can't drive. They're told how to dress. They're told if they can go to school or work. Uh, gays and lesbians are put to death in Saudi Arabia, and Christians and Jews are persecuted. But the Clinton Foundation takes $25 million, up to $25 million for the foundation, $10 million for the, the Clinton Library. And we're not allowed to bring that up either, I guess. And that's why Mr. Trump was, was right on yesterday when he said follow the money yeah it's so follow true the money she's so true over a hundred thousand dollars to tear down and bully these women that her husband abused that is not that is not mm-hmm. someone that builds women up i'm sorry and she the- has not been a builder of women she has not she has said terrible things about women and, and so i i find this I, it's just this is like you said this is ridiculous considering everything that is going on in the world even when I look at my own life, and I think tomorrow isn't promised for any of us, but especially for me as a, a mother um, who won't see her son grow, and those are real issues. But I'm thinking to myself, so someone called you out for being overweight, you had gained a massive amount of weight, and it is it was... A, a couple of years ago, I went to my doctor, Melissa. You know what my doctor told me? What was that, sir? He said, you're getting fat. <laughs> Maybe you need to call him out. You should get him on the show. <laughs> no, he called me fat. Now, I said, I said, really? He goes, do you not look at yourself? That's what he said to me. He goes, you know, and then he made another comment. He goes, you need to lose weight. Now, did he tell me that out of love and concern? He happens to be a really good friend. Or did he tell me to be mean? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. There, there's certain things. He goes, you got to stay in shape. And this goes back a number of years. He's the guy that got me into martial arts. Because he wow. said, because he, he knows that I don't have the patience to stand on a treadmill for hours on end, and he knows that I'm very goal oriented, and he knows that I'm aggressive. So he said, "This is the perfect mix." He happens to be a a multiple degree black belt, and he said, "You're going to love it. It's going to change your life, and you're going to get strong." And he goes, "You'll weigh more, but it's going to be muscle, and it's not going to be fat." And that all turned out to be true, and that's yeah. what I did. But what, I whatever what, this is, Carrie again, Sean. But what what people need to understand, Sean, about this whole beauty contest, um, you know thing is that, you know, Donald Trump defended this woman. Nobody's talking about that. The, the, the organization itself, Donald Trump just owns it. He's not a part of the everyday life of it. The, Donald, the, the organization of Miss Universe wanted to get rid of this girl. But guess what? Donald Trump once again stood up and said, no, we're not going to get rid of this girl. We're going to help this girl. We're going to help her. We're going to get her motivated. We're going to get the best trainers. We're going to get, you know, all these people lined up to help this woman. And even okay. in those videos, when, sorry, the, when the organization could have dropped her easily because she did not uphold her weight, which was 
as Miss Universe, I'm sorry to say this, but you have to look a certain way. And if you don't, just like in all, a lot of other careers, if you don't hold up to your end of the bargain, then there's consequences. But guess what? Donald Trump didn't want there to be consequences. He wanted to turn this around for her and make it a positive for her. Well, right. I've got the audio of that. I'll play it again. We played it yesterday. Here's Trump with Alicia and what he said. Just a little bit of it. What is your advice to Alicia? Well, I don't think Alicia needs much advice. I will say that last year, before I owned the Miss Universe contest, I went to the Miss Universe contest last year. It was in Las Vegas. And I felt that Alicia was one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen. It was incredible. And all of the folks that were here agreed with that. Alicia is like me and like a lot of other people. I love to eat. We all love to eat. Not all of us. Some of you are lucky. But we eat. We like to eat. And she had tremendous pressure put on her with the win and everything else. Plus, she was going from country to country, all foreign places. And there was a huge amount of pressure. And some people, when they have pressure, don't eat. And some people, when they have pressure, eat too much, like me, but like Alicia. And what she's going to do now. All right, I'm going to stop it there because we're almost out of time. He was defending her and saying, no, just like me. That's what I do. And by the way, that's like me. Yeah, he humbled himself. Yes, he he did. Right. And this is is Melissa here. Also, in that he said, he did say that she was one of the most beautiful women he had ever seen. Yes, yes. And that's not being reported. Well, listen, first I want to say to uh, Sonata, thank you, Carrie. I think we might see some of you guys on TV tonight, I hope. Melissa, I want you to know one thing, and I speak for Carrie, and I know I speak for Sonata, that you're in our prayers. We love you. You're in our prayers. We're praying for your son. We admire your courage. And uh, and you're beautiful inside and out, oh, and uh, we're lucky. We're lucky to have you. And, uh, wow! Thank you. That means the world. Thank you so All much. Right. God and bless God. you. And Sean, Thanks. if I may add, um, Melissa is one of the most inspiring women I've ever heard, and I'm just really grateful that she's out there sharing her story because that in my opinion as a businesswoman i think that's what makes such a huge difference um there it's one thing to be a beauty queen but when you're inspiring people and you're so intelligent um i think that's what really impacts all of us wow your story wow. is inspiring too sonata as a refugee from yes, wh- thank you sonata yeah. so much thank for you sonata all right thank you thank you, thank you. all right guys everyone. thank you both unbelievable well it's amazing when you get a different perspective coming up next our final news roundup an information overload hour. Uh, do you make any inquiry about practices that we uh, reject in the United States, like female genital mutilation? Do you say, do you believe in that? And uh, when you come to the United States, will you comply with the laws of the United States on that kind of question? On all questions, we make it clear to refugees that we're a nation of laws and that they need to comply with our laws. And But you uh, don't ask him if they... Uh, would comply with that law. I, I don't, I can't answer that question. Uh, I don't know. Because we had 27 uh, honor killings last year um, in the United States, according to DOJ. Uh, do you ask uh, if you adhere to the practice of honor killings for people who violate certain uh, religious codes before admitting into the United States? I, I'm not sure those honor killings took place among the resettled refugee community in the United States. Um, We make it clear and we have a cultural orientation program which uh, orients refugees, applicants, to uh, would-be refugees. But if you have evidence that they, uh, do you make any inquiry to determine if there's any evidence that uh, they adhere to a group uh, that uh, has those kind of views like um, um, honor killings and whether or not they would give that up if they 
admitted to the United States. Senator, I, I've seen no evidence to show that refugee communities are bringing these values into the United States. Well, we what I see is that they're, they're uh, becoming good American citizens, members of the military, members of our police, member, people with U.S. American values. That's what I see when I, I visit refugee populations in the U.S. Despite the fact that the director of the FBI has told us they cannot vet these refugees to make sure they're not terrorists. How can we possibly be confident that the refugees coming in are not, in fact, terrorists seeking to murder innocent Americans? What I, what I am telling you is that I would not give that document a whole lot of credit because whoever that person was uh, did not do the homework to learn about our process. We can, we can talk about real gaps. Uh, if, if, I mean, real issues, real, real uh, areas of risk. That document was written by somebody who did not take the time to familiarize themselves. Do you with disagree our with the passage I read, though? I disagree. So is it true or false that the testimony of the applicant alone can be sufficient for approval? It, it, it is considered, uh, it depends on, on the case. Uh, usually we do have extensive documentation. Syrians in particular present uh, with extensive documentation, uh, uh, passports, military records. Uh, so there is documentation that we review. If, in fact, if you come to one of our refugee settlement centers, you'll see piles of documents. Mr. Rodriguez, it's a very simple question. My time has expired, but I just would, would like to get an answer to this question. Is it true or false that the testimony of the applicant alone can be sufficient for approval? There, there are cases where the testimony is not necessarily corroborated. Uh, by by uh, documents, uh, but it is always tested against country conditions and other information. That's why it doesn't lend itself in the way that, that you're asking the question, Senator. Are, are, are you saying it's true or you're saying it's false? I'm just trying to under, uh, understand. No, I, I, am I am acknowledging that, uh, yes, testimony can be the basis for the grant of a refugee, but it needs to be tested against other information that we know about the country conditions at a minimum. Minutes ago, you touted uh, and, and made a big deal in your testimony or perhaps in response to a question that uh, since 9-11, there has been no person who came in as an adult in the refugee program who was convicted of a violent terrorist offense. Now, that's great, um, but that was very careful, a very carefully crafted statement. There are many people who came in as an adults in the refugee program who have been convicted of terrorist offenses, correct? Uh, that is correct. Whoopsie-daisy. So, I guess... As we're listening to uh, Simon Henshaw being grilled by our good friend and, and him saying, well, there's no evidence whatsoever that these people are bringing those values that they grew up in with them. How could they not bring them with them? And how could you not be vetting if they're bringing them with them? You know, we continue to come under attack after attack. We see everything that's happening in Germany and in, in France and in Great Britain and Belgium and all of Europe. We see what's happening in our own country by people radicalized. And we have 858 people admitted to the U.S. by mistake. We can't even track those people. What exactly is the vetting process? Why did they shorten it? And why are they not listening to the admonition of our top intelligence people? It's beyond any comprehension or understanding. Because what they're really doing by ignoring the FBI director, the CIA director, the assistant FBI director, the national director of intelligence, the House Homeland Security Committee chairman and the former uh, general to defeat ISIS, special envoy to defeat ISIS, by ignoring these people saying that ISIS will infiltrate the refugee population, 
They are gambling with your life. And that, of course, that was not as important, obviously, as birtherism in the debate because it never came up. Ian Smith is an investigative associate from the Immigration Reform Law Institute. Jessica Vaughn, director of policy studies with the Center for Immigration Studies. Welcome uh, both of you to the program. How bad is this? Ian Smith. Uh, it's uh, it's not looking fantastic, that's for sure. I was at um, the hearing on Wednesday, and uh, that was very scary. Um, I think uh, it should have been acknowledged that almost half the refugees we're um, receiving now are from Muslim-dominated countries. And I think it should also be acknowledged that um, the last figures that we have uh, for green cards, which is 2014, the last DHS uh, figure, shows that about a fifth of the green cards uh, produced that year went to Muslim-dominated countries. That's about uh, almost 200,000. So this should be something that um, uh, Americans are rightly um, should be rightly concerned so about. So is it true when I say that they're gambling with the lives of Americans if Hillary wants a 550% increase? Uh, no, absolutely. Um, the uh, other figures I've seen of... Um, uh, people charged under um, uh, the foiled terrorist plot since 9-11. It's been around 10% have been admitted as refugees. Um, we've already seen uh, ISIS vow to use the refugee process to infiltrate terrorists into the West. Um, and, uh, you know, it only just takes a few people to wreak yeah. absolute havoc in this country, as we've seen. And, you know, Jessica Vaughn, as I look at, for example, the testimony of the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services Director Leon Rodriguez, he actually said the opposite of what we just heard moments ago. And he confirmed that that not a single act of, of actual terrorist violence has been committed by a refugee who underwent the screening procedures since 9-11, but the fact is many refugees have been convicted of terrorist offenses in the U.S. That's right. His, his statements uh, were very circumscribed and very carefully worded. He later admitted that the government doesn't count it as a terrorist act if it's not an actual act of violence. They're not counting all the people who've been convicted of conspiracies who didn't succeed, who were interrupted by the FBI, uh, when clearly they, these people had malintent and should have been counted. I mean, uh, another study was cited by Fordham University that found five refugees have already been prosecuted for acts done in the name of ISIS in the, just the last two years. So certainly this is a risk. Um, uh, some other uh, alarming things came out at the hearing, like sometimes they accept refugees just on the basis of their Excellent. word, what they say about their circumstances, uh, without any documents or verification or even attempts to verify you know, that who they are, that they're telling the truth. So this is the great vet vetting system that we are relying on, and the administration said that they're going to bring in more next year from these countries, it, uh, at least 12,000 from Syria. They wouldn't say exactly how many. Um, and, and this is why states like Texas, for example, are pulling out of the refugee program. Just today, the governor of Texas said, we don't, you know, we, we can't participate in this because you can't promise us that this is going, that we're going to be safe, that these people are okay to bring in. Um, so, you know, we're, we're looking at a real confrontation over this that's brewing because of the disconnect between the administration and their plans and what Americans are hearing and understanding from people that they trust who are saying this is very risky. Well, it's pretty scary. Now, I've been told, and we've interviewed many, many people on this program that have used the word Christian genocide and a Holocaust going on with the Yazidis and Christians in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere. Um, 
when we look at, for example, almost 100,000 Somali refugees have been admitted to the U.S., 99.6% are Muslim. Why are there so few Christian refugees being brought into the country, Ian, and is that true? Uh, in the case of Syria, that's definitely true. I haven't seen Somali figures, but uh, over the last three years, we've um, actually tripled the amount of Somalis we've, we've taken in. And uh, the problems are the same as they are with Syria. You know, there's just no database infrastructure in that country, in both of those countries. Um, so we can't verify, uh, you know, the person's um, identity, their background, their affiliations. Um, meanwhile, um, Obama just says, uh, you know, we shouldn't question the, uh, the system. And, um, but we all have to remember, that, you know, that this is the same person uh, who always tells us that uh, our southern border is secure as ever. So... What about, why can't we just go ahead and, and have a temporary ban till we get it right? What's so bad about that? What's so discriminatory about that if it means not putting Americans' lives in jeopardy? Absolutely. Well, you know, we have um, laws in the books that exclude people based on their ideologies, um, particularly uh, totalitarian ide- ideologies like communism and Nazism. And uh, we base that on the fact that these ideologies conflict with uh, American values. And I think for sure that we could apply the same principle um, to fundamentalist Islam, because it's not just a religious faith, but also a comprehensive ideology for governing society. And one, I think that's completely at odds uh, with our national character. All right. I want to thank you both for your admonition and your warning. I really appreciate it. I think the American people need to hear this. This is going on every day, and these people are just lying to us. And when Americans die, we'll know that they lied to us. Well, what is that going to mean for the people that actually died? Not going to mean a thing. All right. 800-941-SEAN is the toll-free telephone number. Let's go to Sally is in Lafayette, Indiana, next on the Sean Hannity Show. What's going on? Good afternoon, sir. Um, I'm a speech-language pathologist, and on Monday I heard a neurologist who specializes in neuromuscular disorders uh, for over 20 years. He called into your program and speculated that some of Hillary's symptoms might be um, due to myasthenia gravis. Right. Um, and like I said, I'm not a physician. I worked at a major medical center here in the United States, saw individuals from all over the world, also uh, taught in a graduate uh, training program at a prominent U.S. university here in diagnostics. I witnessed on Monday, and I've been waiting for you all week to say something on your show, um, during the Philadelphia rally, Hillary's right eye kept coursing to midline. What we look for when a person turns their head, uh, their eyes should be parallel to one another and move in what we call a conjugate gaze, okay? Hers did not. Her right eye went in toward her nose. I did notice that a little bit in the beginning, but I, you know, I was paying more attention to the, the substance. It was left eye that went to midline. It was different from the Philadelphia rally. So what does that mean? That's a neurological indicator, definitely. I don't, I'm not a physician. I don't know what it means. But um, I, the other thing that struck me, you asked the neurologist that you spoke with, would it be possible for them to medicate her as such so she could get through the debate? And the physician said yes. The symptoms, um, I looked up in my medical dictionaries and so forth, they get worse with uh, emotional stress, increased activity. Um, her, she started out slow and with these abnormal eye movements, 
and then she picked up steam. And I'm wondering if they gave her the medication and timed it so that it would have its maximum effect at a certain time during that uh, debate. Um, other things that are associated with that diagnosis, uh, besides the eye movements, um, the chronic fatigue, uh, weakness, fluctuating weakness, uh, like your arms or your legs. Uh, I think there's something more here. And today I heard on another uh, program that Hillary was at Fort Pierce and at a rally, and she was doing throat clearing. And that may be a sign of a diminished gag reflex, um, something called like dysphagia. And um, and that is also... Look, there's something definitely odd. And I don't think with everything with the Clintons, I think everything is a lie. I mean, I can't totally, completely say that I know what it is, but it is fascinating to listen and watch and observe. And, and she doesn't remember because of a fall th- that she was ever briefed on email security and on cybersecurity. I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that she collapsed because of pneumonia and they wouldn't disclose it until it was... Was, it was just completely necessary, and they tried to spin it every which way that they could. Anyway, I appreciate it. 800 941 Sean, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Uh, back to our phones. Let's see how much time we have here. Well, I don't have time. All right, but I wish I did. But we'll get to it as soon as we can. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN. We'll get to more of your calls here in just a minute. Hey, listen, a major Internet company confirmed a data breach affecting at least 500 million accounts, making it one of the biggest breaches of all time. Now, stolen information included usernames, hash passwords, and phone numbers, birth dates, emails. Now, if you have an account, you got to protect yourself, change your password immediately. Now, this stolen data in this breach can be used for identity theft. And according to a 2016 Javelin report, 32.1 million people People were notified of a data breach in 2015. If you're notified of a breach, you are now seven times more likely to be a victim of identity fraud than those who are not notified. But you have, if you are a LifeLock.com member and you become a victim of identity theft, they have a U.S.-based team that will resolve your case for you. And if you think you're covered by free credit monitoring, well, sorry, all they do is detect a problem. That's it. LifeLock, det- LifeLock detects it and fixes it. Now, you can join right now and get a special 15% discount. Just call or visit LifeLock. Use the promo code Hannity15. Hannity15. Take advantage of their incredible 15% discount. Act now. This offer ends October the 30th. 800-440-4836. 800-440-4836. 800-440-4836. For lifelock.com. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue. He never stops working for the good of the country. Hannity's on with behind-the-scenes information on today's breaking news. And bold, inspired solutions for America. Every day. All right, let's get to the phones on this Friday. Oh, I see Velma's there. Velma, we're 39 days away from Election Day. As a matter of fact, we're going to be heading out your way. We're going to be in Vegas. We're going to be at the debate. Are you going to come? Oh, that's nice. Am I going to get to see my nephews? Are you going to bring them to see me? Of course I will. You know that. We you, miss you, you. You've never invited me not one time to your home because your husband doesn't yeah, like me. Yeah. I have to. Now, don't even go there with that. No, that. you never invited me to your you house not one time. You've been hanging around uh, uh, Donald Trump too long. Now, wait a minute. How I many times have I... How many I times... invited you. How many times have I flown you to New York? Sean, I know it. I don't mind you... 
But you no, know but, what? And didn't I put I'm you up in a night? Did I put you up in a nice hotel? I didn't send compared to yours. I didn't put you in a in a dumpy hotel. Did I? Didn't I put you? Did you put me in the best? And I appreciate it. And you liked it, right? I loved it, honey. We had the best time. And, you know that. And didn't I say buy all the food you want and have a good time? John, I did. And you sent me to told me to go to this expensive restaurant that I didn't like the food, but it was still. What restaurant did I send you? Was it a steakhouse? No, you sent me, but you know what? Last <laughs> year when we came, me and my boys went Do to you know how much a steak is in New York at a New York steakhouse? Some places. You told me to go to some real expensive restaurant. That's what you told me. And I like a dummy. I, I listened to you, and I didn't like it. Did I pay for it? Well, you gave us some money, but I don't oh, know. All right. I could have right. used that money for something else. Oh, so you you didn't like the expensive restaurant because yeah, you, but all that but you know everything everything there's high <laughs> well, everything there's high and you know it. Well, what would you want to buy instead? I mean, are you going to buy junk you in Times Square? They gave I tell you, it was gobs and gobs of food. But you know, I'm I'm a black person. I like meat. And guess what? It didn't have enough meat. Uh, it was something uh, chicken Alfredo, I think, or something. Chicken Alfredo? What? A bunch of noodles. <laughs> like this, well, I wanted some more chicken. Well, it has. It, it, they have a menu. You can order whatever you want. You could have ordered I meat. Order, I did order. I did order. Well, then why'd you yeah, order the pasta? I'm you telling you, I listen to you, which I usually. I never order anything, Alfredo. I'm too fat. I can't order that. I hate not to do what you tell me to do. You know, you know yeah. how I mind and do what you say. Well, uh, well, if you do what I say, then you're going to vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> Now, that was a joke. Uh, obviously, you never you listen to me. That's a joke. Well, you're going to vote for Hillary the liar. Isn't that a bad... Now, let me ask you a question. No, if my, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. If, if, hang money? on. If my nephews lie to you, if your, ki- if your two beautiful boys lie to you, do they get in more trouble than if they didn't lie? They would get in more trouble if they... I like them to right. tell the truth. Okay, so have they ever lied to you? Well, sure. Now, you know good where they have. Okay, every boy has. All right, I did when I was a kid. I get All right. Now, with my... Mike... wonderful kids, but you no, know... I, no, 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 no. Listen, they're my, they're my nephews. Nobody's going to talk bad about my nephews, but they're normal kids. They're regular kids. They're, they're not perfect. Right, right, and we've got right. we to teach them, you know, how not to lie and, and how to be honest and truthful, and they're becoming that. And they're, gr- right. they're growing into nice young men, and, and you're dressing them really well. I, I, I wish you'd take those stupid ties off them every time you bring them to me. They don't need to wear a tie. No boy wants to wear a tie. And then you, you slip... You, what? They don't want to you know, wear a tie. We, go to church, we have to dress nice. But you don't have to wear a tie. I hate wearing a tie. Do you know how much I hate Eric Bowling over cool. at Fox News, even though he's one of my best friends? I hate him because he's now been working half the time I work there, and he gets to not wear a tie. I hate the fact that he gets to not wear a tie, and I have to wear a tie. But, but I love you in my tie. I love it when I. By see the way, my you know what the, know what the headline's going to be? Hannity says he hates bowling. No, Eric Bowling's one of my best friends, but I, I tell him all the time, why do you get to not wear a tie? I've been here longer than you. <laughs> Well, you look nice in those ties, so keep wearing them. Yeah, a lot of them are Donald Trump ties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, I love you. and okay, uh, now, when you when are you coming? I'm coming out for the debate. I know it, but when are you coming? When is the debate? So we can get ready for you. Oh, by the way, the debate commission did admit problems with Donald Trump's mic. Oh, Donald Trump's mic. I told you it was off, and people said, oh, Hannity's defending Trump. I was there. I could hear it. Anyway, it affected the sound level in the debate hall. Oh, I wonder if that was done by Hillary's people.
Oh, that's paranoia conspiracy, Hannity. All right, I'm coming out for the debate. I don't know when, but I'm going to be out there. And and if you'd like to come by and, and say hello, I'd love to see my nephews. i got to give them a present. But you don't have to give them anything. We just want to see you. We miss you. Well, I always give them a present. If I don't give well, them a present... You spoil them rotten, that's why. I do not spoil them rotten. You do spoil those kids, but it's okay. You're their uncle. You can do it. All right, let me tell you something. Is there anything that they really want that they've been asking for? Tell me. I don't know. Come on. Uh, what, what kind of mother are you? You're supposed to be attentive to this stuff. What do they want that you say no to? No, I'm not telling you because you just, uh-uh. I can't tell you done enough for those children. Do they need new bicycles? Maybe they outgrew the other ones or what? Son. I'm asking. Did they outgrow the other bicycles? I, I, when I, I'll ask them when I see them after school. All right. And then I'll, 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 I'll Maybe they want a football, a baseball mitt. Maybe they want a, I don't know, whatever they want. I don't care whatever they like. I don't, whatever they want is fine with me. Okay? I know, I know, Sean. But I, you're so sweet. But I'll, I know, I'll but, you, but you don't listen to me because you're going to vote for Hillary the liar. That's really upsetting to me. And you're going to vote for Donald the Trump. That's right, Donald the Trump. I'm voting for Donald the Trump. I don't want to tell, I don't want to say it on air. By the way, I, at, last time I talked to the boys, they said they're conservative like me and not liberal like you. You gotta be kidding! I swear, they told me. Uh, John, you you know what? We are conservative. We're they said the they said when they go to church on Sunday, they're praying. They're praying that their mother Trump. sees the light. If I go for Donald Trump, just cart me off to the nut house. Listen to me. They said they're conservative like their uncle. That's what they we're said to conservative me. Conservative Christian people. Okay, so you're conservative. conservative. They said. Values. They said they're. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is no more conservative than. By the way, when I was in Pastor Scott's church, I actually started preaching oh, for a little God, bit. That man. That man's pathetic. And why is that other? What? One? How do you say that about a man of the cloth? What has happened to you? You're so angry. All right, I'm I got, not angry. You know, I just said what's on my mind. I'm not angry. You sound because angry. You know what? All right. No matter what, I'm going to be fine. Even if the, All right. Even if the, now, is your husband like, ever going to come and meet me? I got a question. Is your husband ever going to come and meet me or no? He doesn't like me. You, you know what? He doesn't also, like me. My husband, he says he does not dislike you. Then why does he never come and meet me? Does he think that you and I have a little funny business no, going on or John. something? My husband knows I love him. He knows I'm not into white guys. <laughs> Why would you say, oh, my gosh. I don't want a white guy when I got a nice black one. <laughs> you know, and by, by the way, there are some people that might, well, hang on, I got to protect you here. There are some people that might take this the wrong way. Velma has a heart of gold. You're, you're a sweetheart. And, well, I, does he, I mean, because you never, he never wants to ever see me, never comes to see me. So I'm wondering, does he think, you know, that I'm... I'm no, no, as a matter of fact, him and my, uh, one of my other... Son, I want him to know I respect tell, Velma. Let me tell you, him and my other son, my son even said it. He says, if, if uh, Daddy had a lady that was like uh, Sean, uh, Mama would divorce you. <laughs> is that right? He said, he said Mommy would... Mommy, he said, no, my kids call me Mommy. I mean, the babies call me Mommy. He calls me Mama. He said, Mama would have a stroke. He told my husband that. Well, Velma, listen, Velma, Velma, Velma. I said, Sean is a Velma. wonderful, wonderful person. I mean, just. I got to let you go, Velma. Well, you don't want to hear all my, your compliments. Yeah, I got to let you go. Because I just, I'll spend the whole half hour with you. All right, Don is in Wake Forest, North Carolina, the home of Great Wake Forest. What's going on, sir? How are you? Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking By the my way, call. your football team is 4 and 0 this year. You beat Duke. And Duke beat uh, Notre Dame. 
You got the best football team, I think, in the history of the school. What school? Wake Forest. Uh, Sean? Yeah? Wake Forest University hasn't been in Wake Forest since before you were born. Oh, sorry about that. I said I thought you were calling from Wake Forest. It says on my thing, Wake Forest. I thought you were calling from the university. The town of Wake Forest. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it was an honest mistake. Anyway, Wake Forest is 4-0. What's up? I have to to deal with that all the time. Hey, listen, what would you think if Trump, instead of backpedaling and defending himself when he gets these bad questions, he should attack, flip it right around to the moderator. We're not asking about things like Benghazi, the Clinton Foundation, her email server, and attacking them rather than directly attacking Hillary herself. You know, he could do that, but uh, Ted Cruz, in an early primary debate, did exactly that. He took the question and attacked the moderator and media. The media is so distrusted in this country, they're about as popular as Congress. By the way, your voice is so like Neil Cavuto's, it's uncanny. <laughs> no, it really is. And Neil is one of my, my I, I admire him more than anybody else that I've met in my life. The guy is amazing. Um, well, I, 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 I agree with the strategy. I Look, I think every debate answer ought to have this. And I think Newt Gingrich t- touched on this a little bit yesterday. I think every debate answer ought to have a little quip at Hillary and then where they're wrong and how you're going to do it right. And if it's not a question you want to deal with, like the stupid birther question or your tax issue again, you move on to something else. And you have the ability to use your two minutes any way you want. And who cares what anybody else says? It is funny that they finally admitted Donald Trump's mic was off. Oops. Oopsie-daisy. Sorry. Big problem. Uh, Ginger Grand Rapids, Michigan Wood Radio. How are you? Well, how are you there, Sean? Regarding this, this Ms. Universe lady, she is irrelevant. She is irrelevant. Actually, Donald Trump is in Grand Rapids, Michigan today, and I can't go because I have to work. I'm self-employed. Let's talk about stuff like, you know, helping out small business people, not about Miss Universes who have it, you know, who have a big backside. I have a big backside. Who cares? Who cares? Irrelevant. It's employed by Hillary Clinton. It's just like her saying he's attacking women. You know what, lady? If you can't handle the big stage and put the big boy pants on, you don't need to be president. I'll be honest. It's a rough and tumble game, but there is a double standard. The Clintons can smear, slander, besmirch, (laughs) attack women and have their surrogates attack women for years. But if Donald Trump had an imperfect moment, boy, all of a sudden, wow, he's misogynistic. He's sexist. Well, to be honest, compared to what Juanita alleges and Kathleen, the story she tells and the story Paula Jones tells and the Jennifer Flowers lie and smear and the narcissistic Looney Tune, Monica Lewinsky. I really don't want to get lectured by the Clintons or any of their supporters about the treatment of women. And then, of course, taking money from all these Sharia countries on top of it. Pauline is in Brooklyn in New York City on the all new AM 710 WOR, the voice of New York, New Jersey and Long Island. How are you? Hi, Sean. Um, I had a quick suggestion that maybe Trump could use um, to use Hillary Clinton's ads against her that he that she uses against him. If he says something along these lines, um, after 30 years, Hillary Clinton doesn't have a successful record to run on. That's why she's using character assassination ads against me. So whenever you hear or see those negative ads, just associate them with Hillary Clinton. Can't run on her record. A huge failure. America deserves better. 
vote Trump. Yeah, you should do voiceover, by the way. You're really good. I think we're going to put you in the next voiceover commercial for DJT, Donald Trump, okay? Anyway, <laughs> I... Brooklyn accent? <laughs> yeah, why not? How you doing? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. You know what? I love accents, period. I love Southern accents. I love British accents. I love Australian accents. I love them all. And the New York, Long Island, New Jersey accent is pretty good, too. Um, I just wanted to also make one small comment. Yeah. Uh, Mark Levin's show on Tuesday, yeah. his opening uh, hour, Thank me. He, yeah. he had a lot of things that I think Trump could use uh, with Hillary, you know, okay. to put her in a place and neutralize her. I'll give Mark an email. I'll give him a call later and ask him what he did, okay? He's, Mark's one of my closest friends. I love Mark. Uh, all right, let's get back to our phones. North Carolina, Bill, next on the Sean Hannity Show. How are you, Bill? Hey, Sean, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm uh, one of the Flint residents. I was born, raised there till about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm sorry, by the way, about well, it was once a vibrant city. I'm sorry about the water crisis. I'm sorry about all, you know, 80,000 jobs have left your city and now they're going to Mexico. I'm sorry about the water that's been and the fact that the government lied to you and and betrayed you. I'm sorry about all that. Well, this is the main reason I've been trying to get a hold of you is my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, all my uncles. But one, uh, my one uncle was an uh, education teacher. And guess who paid his paycheck? My father and stuff working at GM. And guess what? I was supposed to be that GM worker. Of course, when I was in school, uh, our school teachers always told us that, oh, no, you don't want to be a shop worker. That's, that's belittled. You know what I mean? You don't want to do that. But what people don't realize is we need factories to get these jobs going. That's who that's who keeps the economy going. That's how I always feel. Well, look, I just want people to have opportunity that I've had in my life. And I've told the story many times. And I see opportunity slipping away from Americans. And we need to get that back in this country and back sooner than later. Anyway, appreciate the call, Bill. 800-941-SEAN, our number. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 